Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 195 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hi, Adam. How's it going? Good. How are you? Good. We're in the middle of a marathon intro creation, so. We are. We'll act like we'll keep it fresh. Sure. Um... So this episode interview was all you. This was all me, yeah. Uh, So a few weeks back, you and I were joking about um, if you're in the northeastern part of America, actually really any part of America, a couple weeks ago, there was this horrible ice storm, terrible, everything was cold. What was it called? Like the Polar... I don't remember. Polar Express? I I kid. Um, Whatever that thing, Cyclone, whatever it was. Yeah. It was very cold. Um, we had an ice storm here and I was the last person in the office because I had an awesome interview to do. So I got to interview Ayobami Adebayo. Uh, she was in Nigeria. That's where she lives. So she was not affected by an ice storm. Um, but it was a Friday and it was like 10 o'clock at night, which was awesome of her to make time for me. 10 o'clock at night at her time. 10 o'clock at night at her time. Yeah, I was not here in the office on a Friday night at 10. She's much more committed than I am at that point. Um... Ayobami's book was selected by Sarah Jessica Parker as the next American Library Association Book Club Central Book Club pick. Is that? I believe that is correct. Um, and she was nice enough, like I said, to take some time and chat with us on a Friday evening. Um, one thing I want to point out is that because I was calling her from literally across the world, uh, it's a little quieter than a normal phone interview would be, and there's a little bit of beeping in the background now and then. Um, but it's not bad. It won't affect you. I just wanted to let you know that's what it was in advance. I should also tell you that her book's name is Stay With Me. That probably would have been a good thing to say about the name of her book. Um, but yeah, Sarah Jessica Parker loved it. I loved it. Um, d- chatting with her was really fun. Uh, hearing her, she's this incredibly... Um, well-spoken and a crazy intelligent person and then so hearing her talk about her process of creating this book and how she like her writing process throughout it was awesome and then just hearing her basically be like it was crazy that Sarah Jessica picked my book like hearing her reaction yeah. is it's kind of adorable so um, if you want to get a hold of us how can they do that they can find us on Twitter and Instagram at ProBookNerds, and they can email us uh, directly at ProfessionalBookNerds at Overdrive.com. Yes, they can. And speaking of Book Club Central and ALA and all that good stuff, if you're a librarian and you're going to be at the American Library Association Conference in the beginning of February, Overdrive, of course, will be there, and so will Jill. I will. So, I'll be at our booth. Come so say hello. Go say hello and take a picture with her and all that good stuff. You'll be doing author interviews and all that jazz. Yep. I'm excited to hear all about your adventures. Anything else people should know about before we let them get to the interview? Yes. Um, today, this is the last week to enter our co- contest for sure. a Kobo Oro One. Um, Friday's the deadline, so if you want to win a Kobo Oro One, we have two to give away for our 200th episode. All you have to do is to uh, post a picture of a cat or dog and tag us. 
Um, and yeah, I think that's it, right? I think. Just tag us. I think that is. It doesn't it. have to be your cat. It doesn't have to be your dog. <laughs> I mean, if it is your cat or dog, that's also. Sure, wonderful. I'm just saying, like, I don't want to, like, you know, those people who don't have cats or dogs, you can still enter. Yeah, I think someone did. They, like, sent them. They were just like, this isn't mine, but it's an adorable cat. See? That like, works, too. Yeah. Um, I do want to just give a special shout-out to the people at the ALA for hooking us up with this, helping us uh, track down um, Ayabami and be able to make some time. We really appreciate it. So I'm a librarian, so we all love American Library Association. Exactly. So Okay, anything else you can think of? I think that's everything. Wonderful. Okay, well, I hope you guys enjoy this conversation as much as I did with Ayabami out of bio on the, on the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. <laughs> Hi everyone, this is Adam again from Team Overdrive, and today I'm incredibly honored to be joined by Ayobami Adebayo, whose work has appeared in a number of magazines and anthologies. She holds she holds a BA and master's degree in literature and English, and has received fellowships and residencies from several cultural institutions around the world. Her debut novel, Stay With Me, has received massive acclaim, having been shortlisted for the 2017 Bailey's Women's Prize for Fiction, it was also selected by Sarah Jessica Parker as her next American Library Association Book Club Central choice. So, Ibami, thank you for taking some time to chat with us today. Oh, thank you for having me. Um, so, Stay With Me is set in Nigeria in the 1980s, and for those of uh, our listeners who may not be familiar with the kind of political turmoil that was going on there, can you give us some context for what was happening in the country at that time? Yeah. Um, so in 1980s Nigeria, um, from the late 70s, we were under military rule. And we um, were under military rule in the 1960s too. But the interesting thing about what was going on in the 80s for me was that... Um, we were in a time where the people who had taken over power were not ap- apologetic about it. So if you l- read some of the literature from the 60s, where the military would sort of come in and take over from the civilian government, they were a bit apologetic about it. They were saying, they would sometimes say that they, would, they were just trying to restore order, maybe just for a few months, and that they would hand over to civilian government, there was always that idea that the norm, the normal thing, was for the country to be under um, a civilian government within a democratic um, framework. But when we get to the 1980s, you see that um, the people who are in power in the military are sort of trying to legitimize um, the system that is totally autocratic, um, doesn't allow anybody anybody in the country, doesn't allow the citizens to have a vote or to have a say in um, the affairs of the country. The country is being ruled by a Supreme Military Council. So that was sort of um, the political background in the 80s. And um, it was interesting to sort of think about it and how it could be a backdrop for the novel. And then... 
speaking of the backdrop of the novel, I, I saw that you wrote in an essay about your city of, I believe it's called Prince Lagos, um, and you describe it as um, a perfect place to write a novel in the sense that it taught you that perfect conditions weren't necessary for your creative process. So how does the city where you're from kind of play into Stay With Me? So, I mean, I was born in Lagos and then um, lived elsewhere. And by the time I started writing Stay With Me, I was living in Lagos, like you said. I felt that that was what she said. It's one of the most important things that Lagos taught me because there was literally no time. I was um, working in a bank and I was spending most of my life, I felt, it felt that way at the time, in traffic or on a job that I didn't really care much, very much for. And there was simply no time to write. Um, my routine was I would need to get up before 5. Um, by 5.30 in the morning, I'm on my way to work. Sometimes I don't get back before midnight. So I just crash. And, but I just realized at a point that um, I think I was just actually terrified that that would be my life. <laughs> and um, it just seemed to stretch out endlessly in front of me. And I was absolutely terrified of it. And I was also terrified. I was afraid that I would somehow, in all of this, um, hustle and bustle and incense, I mean, just being constantly on the move, this constant motion of um, being a Lagosian at a time, I felt that it could, I could get to a point where I couldn't even write anymore. So I decided I was going to write a novel, I was going to start writing a novel, um, whatever it took. So I started writing in traffic. Um, I was fortunate enough, I was working for a bank, but I had a staff bus, so I didn't actually have to drive. So I could just sit in the back and try to do some work. And I would write on my phone most of the time and just sentences and sometimes fragments that I could then develop later in the weekend. But what that did was that it kept my mind um, constantly involved with the novel itself. Um, I didn't necessarily write as much as I would have loved to in terms of the word count um, <laughs> by the time I left Lagos. But I was thinking constantly about this book, and I think that that's incredibly valuable. So that's um, one of the many, many things that Lagos has taught me. I have to say, I'm not sure you're giving yourself enough credit for the word count because reading about the traffic that you were sitting through, I think just the fact that you could be productive at all during that time should be commended. Thank you. <laughs> um, so what made you want to write a book uh, that looks into this contemporary polygamy in Nigeria? thinking, I mean, when I come to um, a story or a novel, the fascinating thing is that um, the idea I begin with sometimes is it's not what I end up with by the time the novel or the story is finished. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's still there, but it's not as pronounced as um, one might imagine it would be. So this, this story starts with... Um, in this case, because I had lost a number of friends to sickle cell anemia, 
And um, so that, that was the fragment. But then I wanted to write about this. Um, by the time I started thinking about it, I began to think more about um, the mothers in those situations who are in those situations rather who are usually the ones who are the caregivers. Um, I mean, I would I thought initially that I would write about somebody who was living um, with the disease, but for some reason I became very interested in the parents and the mothers and what it must mean to love um, a child who's living with a disease like this. So that's sort of what came in. So I started thinking about, first of all, the mother, the age of the character, and then I thought about, well, where is she? Who is she with? And um, what are sort of the circumstances around her? Um, and the more I got to know her, I sort of felt like I discovered different things about her, like the fact that she's in a marriage that has gone on for a while without any children, that all of these pressures are coming from the outside, and that at a point her husband takes another wife, and how that sort of complicates everything that she's already been dealing with. So it sort of begins with um, a single thread, and then it becomes something that, I sort of just weave together the whole kinds of threads in it. But that was sort of the entry point, the fact that I had lost those friends and I was constantly thinking about them and also began to think about what it must have been like for their parents and their mothers in particular to live through this disease with them and then in some ca- in their own cases to then lose these children. One of the themes that uh, I really love in the book is there's this, you know, understanding of an expectation that we put on our own lives and that other people put on the lives that we're trying to live. Um, And that can be affected by, you know, your gender or your status and, you know, in your family or in society. So what was your thought while you were putting those, you know, those themes down? Were you ever concerned that people were going to look at this story as um, shining a light on some of these expectations? Or was it something that you felt you you needed to tell? Yeah, I mean, I I think it was also a little bit, I think it was a little bit of both. That um, I was, and I'm still interested in this constant negotiation you have to make as an individual between what you want for yourself and what other people expect to want for you, particularly um, when those other people are in an intimate relationship with you. Maybe they're your parents or they're your significant other or um, they're your siblings. And the fact that um, it's a constant negotiation between your own independence and um, your role as within a community, whether it's a small family unit or a large community. And I did that, and I wanted to explore that with this novel. And um, so I think that I'm pretty happy um, if if that's something that people go away with, that this sort of shed a light on how difficult it can be to negotiate between both and how sometimes the people who claim to love you and even the people who actually really do love you sometimes 
um, what they believe is best for you is not necessarily the best. Um, that even for many of us who are very invested in the lives of people that we claim to love, the people we love, like Akin's mother is, um, as far as she's concerned, some of the terrible things she does in the book is because she loves her son and she wants what she believes is the best for him. But obviously, um, what she thinks is not the case. But sometimes it's important to take a step back and allow people to define happiness for themselves. Uh, one of the other themes and, and major aspects of the book is infertility and i'm just wondering if attitudes in in nigeria have have changed since the time period that you explore in this book um nowadays are are things any better for for women in nigeria i mean i think that to some extent they have changed i mean the attitudes have changed to some extent not as much as i would like but um (laughs) i guess we take it one step at a time um but I think that um, I think that things are they're not as good as they could be, honestly. But um, I think that one of the things that I, I I think about and gives me some hope is that recently I've known of a number of couples who have adopted children, you know, and I, I can't really remember that being the case when I was growing, growing up. I imagine that there must have been people who adopted children, but it was almost something shameful that people had to hide mm-hmm. and um, lie about. But, I mean, recently I do know couples who have dealt with um, infertility by adopting children, and I think that that is progress, that um, admitting to ourselves that there are people who might never be able to have their own biological children and for them to be able to explore other options, whether to adopt children or to just not have children at all, I think that that is progress instead of um, insisting that things have to be just a certain way. Uh, so, as I mentioned when I was kind of reading the, the intro, you know, the, the book has received praise from all around the world, but I'm, I'm curious, what was the reaction to your book when it was released from uh, on a local level, like what was the reaction to it um, in Nigeria and you know maybe even in your own community? Um, I think it's 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 actually been remarkably um, well received here, and I think that I mean I feel like many Nigerians, and I would say particularly many Nigerian women um, take it. Sort of, I've taken ownership of it in a way that um, I, I just find absolutely amazing and um, very humbling. And the experience that I seem to have had over and over again is um, one where a young person, perhaps someone of my age, would read the book. And I mean, people would walk up to me at events and say this. They would read the book and then pass it on to their mother. And their mother would, after reading the book, sit them down and talk about how she had gone through some of these experiences. And this was something that the the children did not know. 
um, there's a gentleman who told me how his mother, after reading the book, called him and said, oh, do you know that when I got married to your father, I didn't have children for this number of years? And some of these things in this book, I experienced them and all of that. So it's been very touching to to um, see people sort of um, identify with it in such an intimate and personal way. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Sometimes it's a bit overwhelming, um, <laughs> but uh, it's because in a sense it was, it was a very difficult book to write, but it's kind of gratifying to see that it speaks to the reality. Um, it speaks to the reality of many women and um, it um, articulates some of uh, the things that many of them went through. So the the book itself was was first published by a small Nigerian press, and this is I don't get the opportunity to ask someone this very often. So, um, can you maybe describe kind of the the publishing industry in Nigeria, or even just you know kind of the the literary aspect of Nigeria? Yeah, um, <laughs> so uh, um, of course, obviously no going to capture all of it. I'm <laughs> just going to give my sense of it. Sure. Um, but I, I think that right now in Nigeria there are a number of uh, small literary imprints. Um, that's how I would put it. Um, most of the ones that I know, perhaps because that's what I'm interested <laughs> in, are really small literary imprints. So... Um, maybe anything between publishing between maybe two books and maybe two to eight books in a year mm-hmm. eight is actually pretty high maybe two or four or five books in a year and um so that's 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 what i know of literary imprints here there's no this you know that you have in the u.s or mm-hmm. in the uk where there's this large publishing um house that has several imprints in it but some of this literary imprints then have um, other sort of branches that um, do sort of textbooks maybe. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a lot of income that's generated. I mean, it makes business sense because um, the public don't make as from the literary fiction as they would from a textbook that everybody in the country has. <laughs> so, um, so that's my sense of it. But the other interesting thing happening that I think has happened in, my, in the past um, 10 years uh, that I can speak to is that the internet has sort of um, flattened things in a way that wasn't the case otherwise. Mm-hmm. So that you have quite a number of um, literary blogs, you have um, a number of literary magazines that are publishing what I think is exciting and new and um, writers that I believe that we will be talking about in a few years. Um, so that's, that's, those are the two things that I'm sort of aware of. Um, because I left Lagos, which is sort of almost the center of everything many years ago, and moved other out um, to a smaller city in Elisha and then um, to university town. So I couldn't pick um, very authoritatively to the literary scene in Lagos, <laughs> you know, but that, that, it is there. Yeah. Um, 
Speaking of, you were discussing, uh, you know, some authors that you kind of think people will be talking about in a few years from now. Um, we're always, always preaching the importance of, of reading diverse novels and diverse books. So I'm curious, from your standpoint, um, if people are looking for additional literature coming out of Africa and, you know, even Nigeria especially, are there any books or authors that you would recommend personally? Um, I'm just, I was curious if, uh, you were talking about, you know, some of the up and coming authors that you're excited about. I was curious if you have any particular either African authors or Nigerian more specifically, uh, authors that you are excited about that, you know, maybe we could share with our listeners. having me put you on the spot though that's very good i i didn't ask you ahead of time so that that's really that, that's a good that's a good list yeah i am yeah i'm sure i'm going to remember like seven other titles <laughs> I wanted to mention, um so uh, speaking of wonderful authors i know that you have had the opportunity to study under chimamanda ngozi adichie and margaret atwood so we're big fans of both of them here. So can you maybe just share some experiences of, you know, what it was like learning from those two, you know, master writers? Yeah, so, I mean, the workshop with um, Chimamanda Adichie was in, um, I think, 2007, if I remember correctly. And I was 
think I was still a teenager at the time. And it was it was the very first creative writing workshop I would be at. And I, I it was very transformative for me. It was transformative. I um I think that I was very fortunate to have had that opportunity at such an early stage that I got the right tools and ideas that I needed. And it was wonderful to be taken seriously by a real writer, you know, mm-hmm. um, when I was so still wondering if this was something I could do at all, you know, if, it was, if I was just fooling myself um, with all the things I was writing. It was, it was really wonderful. It was a wonderful experience for my work to be taken seriously and to receive feedback from a real writer mm-hmm. and then um, when I was studying in, in when I was studying in England uh, Margaret Hatswood was um, the university professor of literature at the um, University of East Anglia where I was doing an MA in creative writing and I remember the first day she came to class <laughs> I don't think I said a word because I was just so <laughs> starstruck you know and um, this still happens to me <laughs> where I meet a writer that I admire and I just can't say anything. Um, to sort of backtrack, there's a novel called Nervous Conditions. It was published about 20 years ago. It's really, really brilliant. It's called Nervous Condition- Conditions mm-hmm. by Titi Dangaremba. She's a Zimbabwean writer. And I remember that because I met her a few months ago and I could not say my name. <laughs> anyway, so I was having <laughs> I was having this um, a similar experience uh, when Margaret Hattie was in class because this is someone who my mother had her books on the shelf and she uh-huh. was there, I was in the same room with her. <laughs> and um, <laughs> so I was just absolutely blown away. Uh-huh. I, I do think that eventually I started actually listening to what she was saying. <laughs> but I think for the first hour or so, I was just <laughs> totally oh. horse-struck and couldn't believe I was uh, breathing, sort of breathing the same hair as she was breathing. And then also, she um, was very generous with her time, with um, very forthright with her opinions, and I found it very helpful um, sort of interact with her, to listen to how she was sort of approaching many of the pieces that we read, the workshop pieces, um, the kind of high that she had and the things that she picked out. It was very useful um, in for me when I was going back over my own manuscript later and sort of edit um, the rest of it. I... I have to tell you, as as someone who has been fortunate enough to meet some of my own literary heroes, I know exactly what you mean about not being able to even uh-huh. speak. And it's it's a problem for me because I'm supposed to be interviewing them and I'm just looking at them. So I definitely appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. They're just, they just kind of look back. They just look back at me. They're just sort of waiting for me to ask them a question. And I'm just <laughs> looking at them. So I know how you feel for sure. Um, so we, uh, here at Overdrive, we're a library company. And one of the reasons I was fortunate enough to to get to speak with you is because your book, Stay With Me, has been selected, uh, you know, as the next ALA Book Club Central pick. So 
What was that like when you found out that Sarah Jessica Parker wanted, you know, so many people around the world to read your book? Amazing. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I mean, I think the first thing I said, oh my God, Sarah Jessica Parker has read my book. <laughs> you know, um, it, it was, was mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think anybody sits down... I don't know. I don't think people sit down and write a book and think that it just travels so far so quickly. Mm-hmm. And so I just, yeah, it's so wonderful. And <laughs> then I think when I got to know about it, it was, I think, a couple of weeks or a little bit more before it was going to be announced. Mm-hmm. And so I sort of had to sit on this news. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't, like, oh, well. <laughs> I mean, for a couple of days there, I thought, oh my God, I'm just going to say this. I'm going to treat this at some point because I'm just so excited. But mm-hmm. I managed to keep quiet about it. Oh, that's so funny. Um, speaking of, of keeping quiet about things, are you able to tell us what you're currently working on? Ha. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, this is what I always say. I mean, I say that it's a novel. <laughs> and um, that's the first thing I can say. And the second thing I can say is that it's got people in it. <laughs> so um, that, that much I'm sure about. Any other thing, I don't know. <laughs> Until it's done, um, I wouldn't know. But it's, it's got people in it. So yeah, it should be good. Okay, well, I suppose you did tell us the truth, so I won't hold that that's okay. Um, I. <laughs> The I, the last question I have for you is, what do you hope people take away from reading your book during Book Club Central and, and any time they pick it up? Um, I mean, I suppose that... Um, I suppose that the thing about books is that they speak to you... Um, sometimes they speak different things to you at different times, you know. Um, but one of the things, one of the many things that... I hope that people take away from this book is that um, the people are deserving of dignity, of respect, that, and that should not be um, dependent on anything. So um, you don't treat a human being with respect and dignity only because you know they they're rich or treat a woman with respect and dignity because she has children and therefore oh, you should respect her because she's a mother. Um, I hope that people take away the, the fact that human beings are deserving of respect and dignity and that's the end of it. You know, that there's no other qualification that's needed other than being human. Well, I mean, I, the stay with me is so wonderful and I loved speaking with you about it. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so, so very much for having me. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from overdrive.com and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. 
Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.